Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Welcome back to the Ilmfi podcast. It's your host Shabir Hassan. In today's episode, it's all things related to the seerah. We have Dr. Salah Sharif, who's joining us once again, who mashallah has just come off the back of this amazing project, putting together this brand new seerah book. So we're talking about seerah, talking about reflections from the seerah, talking about his amazing journey and uh, the work that he's put in. So stay tuned and inshallah, uh, enjoy this episode. Dr. Salah, how are you? It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, in fact, I checked this morning and the last appearance was four years ago. Four years? Yeah. yeah. Four years, alhamdulillah. I mean, a lot has happened. A lot has changed <laughs> for both of us. Yeah, I guess a lot yeah. has changed. Alhamdulillah. I That's mean, good news. you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not around these days in in UK. You're you're spending most of your days now in Egypt. And yeah. Obviously, we're going to talk about the um the, the 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 projects that you've been involved with. Alhamdulillah, a lot has happened. Yeah. The world has changed. You had Corona and you had the lockdowns yeah, and everything else. So, I think the world has changed quite a bit. But uh, no, thank you for joining us. And uh, of course, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, will be related to, of course, the book, um, the Seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, which for those of you who are hearing about this for the first time, uh, essentially the, the way that I can really describe it right now is if you're familiar with the very famous um, series, lecture series by Sheikh Yasir Qadi, uh, which I'm sure many of you, mashallah, have, have probably viewed uh, you know, I think how many episodes? Hundred, hundred and four episodes. Okay, so more than hundred episodes. I don't even know hours wise. What what does that come to? Like it's about hundred and fifty hours. Hundred and fifty like hours. Episode between sixty to ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so very detailed, mashallah. Yeah, mashallah, very detailed. Um, you know, hugely popular. So that now, alhamdulillah, has been adapted um, into a book, and um, Dr. Salah was very instrumental in putting this together, leading this project, alhamdulillah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's finally in a book format, which to be honest with you, is one of the things that once upon a time I was thinking, you know, this needs to be in a book. So alhamdulillah. Literally like there. almost everyone I've spoken to said yeah. the same thing at one point, you know, this would be great in a book. Mm. So alhamdulillah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. So absolutely. So we're going we're to talk about the project and we're going to talk about the book and the behind the scenes and everything else. Before we get into it, um, of course, a lot of our discussions are going to revolve around the seerah, naturally. Um, so let's start with a, a quick fire, so to speak, right? Um, I have a few questions at the top of my head. The first one is, um, bar and excluding this book, right, which is obviously brand new, uh, prior to that, what was one book of the seerah um, that you that you really enjoyed reading. So um, so I've read a few of them actually in yeah. in, in preparation for this mm-hmm. almost like you know R and D research yeah um, and you know I think with with most projects you've got pros and cons so you've got strengths and weaknesses mm. um, in, so I identified strengths and weaknesses in all of them so obviously the aim was yeah. to try to build on all the strengths mm. um, so in my mind there's no weaknesses <laughs> so I'm very you know keen on uh, kind of like yeah. public I might regret saying this but I'm keen on the constructive feedback okay. from the sure. uh, um, community to see what are the weaknesses that would yeah. be very interesting for me um, but I think you know most people answer is the same, which is Martin Ling's Sira. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. it's a really good one, mashallah. Um, like I mentioned, there are strengths and weaknesses, but nevertheless, he he was an extraordinary writer. Yep. And mashallah, you know, the baraka was there. The success speaks for itself, really. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. definitely it's right up there. It's right yeah. up there. If if you can if you can uh you know familiarize familiarize yourself with the English and just kind of well, this is get it. over yeah. that bit. I mean right? it was written in the seventies and yeah. it was archaic then. Yeah, Never mind yeah, now, yeah, yeah. right? So even the contents page is in Roman numerals, and it's like the purpose of the contents page is to tell me what page to go on, <laughs> and I don't know what XIVV yeah, is. Yeah. So um, lots of thys and these, which of course you know, 
when I speak to learned people, they appreciate mm-hmm. that a lot. They love the yeah, yeah. you know the artistry of it, but I think a lot of you know the laity find it a bit off-putting, mm, yeah. especially when a translation is you know feels like a translation, feels like foreign. Um, but I, you know, I don't want to criticize. He did a yeah, tremendous no, absolutely, job. Absolutely, like, um, And I, I mean, everyone everyone tends to point to the sealed nectar. I know we're not doing a, a, a critical yeah. review of all the books right now, but as in, well, I, I can understand why it became hugely popular. Yeah, uh, it has it has everything in there yeah. in the order that it needs to be in um but yeah what are your thoughts on that i can just tell from your facial expression we're, we're going straight into it yeah? <laughs> look you know me personally yeah, yeah. and you know um i just say what's on my mind i can I, you know mm-hmm. i wear my heart on my sleeve so yeah. it might upset some people but to be quite frank to be honest um most people who recommend the the, the translation of the silk nectar have mm. never read it Right. And I, I, I can swear that the vast majority of people haven't. Okay. And the reason is that the Arabic, mashallah, was fantastic. Mm. And he won an award. Yeah. There was a competition in Saudi, who can write the best seerah book. And the Sheikh, rahimahullah ta'ala, mm-hmm. renowned Sheikh, um, he wrote it, he won the prize. So now you've got like, you know, international bestseller, you know, mm. world, you know, leading book. So it has that reputation. Right. Then it got translated. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward the, the translator for their efforts. But I think it was translated into English in an age when, you know, the, the era of the of translation studies um, was quite primitive. And so the translation was really, you know, subpar. It, it wasn't mm. satisfactory. And so um, I think most people who actually read the books will say, will say Martin Lings is great. You know, you've even got Adil Salahi they don't enjoy this one because mm. it feels like a translation. And obviously, Definitely, as you yeah. know, I own a translation company. So it's like, I say to my translators, if I, if I feel, if I know this has been translated, it means there's work to be done. Mm. The translation should sound native and idiomatic as mm. if it was written in English. Mm-hmm. Same with the adaptation, right? Um, so <laughs> I've actually come across countless people who um, have strongly recommended it. And it's come to light that they've not even read a single page. And it's just like the aura of the book itself. Right. So um, somebody was recommending this book, this seerah, and uh, um, somebody else said, um, no, no, leave that one. It, I'll tell you what's way better. Um, the seal nectar in English is fantastic. And it was the first day this came out. So the, the first person said, brother, you've not even read it. So how do you know it's better? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, no, no, trust me, this one's the best. And they said, okay, well, what do you like about it? They're like, no, no, I've not read it, but trust me, it's the best. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. like, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them. But I think that, you know, if you want to read the Arabic, go ahead and do it. And the yeah. English, you know, Allah. Yeah, and it needs to be done. I mean, even even this conversation, and of course, you know, you you, you, you went ahead and, you know, mashallah, you looked at the strengths and weaknesses of these books. But there's nothing wrong in saying, you know, this book has its weaknesses. The translation isn't great. You know, work can be done, whether it's a seerah book, whether it's even a translation of the Quran. There's always like, you sh- we should always be looking for, um, you know, improvements to be made. And, uh, well, that, you know, comp- is comp- yeah, competition drives mm. uh, improvements, you know. Um, and so I think because we don't want to offend each other too much, mm. um, we skirt around um, the frank truth sometimes. But as long as we're respectful with it, I mean, you know, this is like the the contents of the book itself is more honorable than you and I mm. and any translator. Yeah. So it's rather we, 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 we stick to the truth and, and our loyalty is with the, the content of the seerah yeah. rather than not wanting to upset people. Mm. So we say may Allah reward them for their efforts. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the next question I had was, um, so this is different to another question I'm going to ask later. It's fairly similar. But this one is just a general like, 
which companion or figure from the seerah um, this is different to a question I'm going to ask about a lesser known one just generally speaking which one that do you I don't like asking about favourites like what's, what's your favourite surah or what's your favourite companion because I know how it is right Yeah. but just generally like one that just stands out for you resonates with you love this story the background etc it's a tough one the problem <laughs> it's not a tough one Okay. it's an easy one but then it's a boring one because it's so easy right okay. and you know what I'm going to say because you know a cliche is a cliche when everyone gives the same answer Go on, um Put it this way, I have a few favorite quotes in the seerah, right? And so if you ask me like, what's your favorite moment in the seerah? Mm. What's your favorite quote? What's your favorite interaction? Um, it's very difficult to choose one. So I was thinking, um, and, and you know, while I'm reading, as you can see, like, look, these are my notes. Um, mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting on, on, on the book itself. You can yeah, read yeah, it you yeah. know, a million times. And so I was internally, I'm asking myself and I have three favorite quotes in the seerah. Okay. And they're all said by the same Sahavi. So that means, you know, oh, he's my favorite okay. Sahavi. Can I, can I try guess Of then? course, uh, yeah. And you're going to guess it. Yeah. I, I, have mean, three, okay. I, have, I have three favorite <laughs> quotes and they're all said by the same Sahavi. But it's going to be one of the... Yeah. I mean, I it's mean, going to be... So, I mean, go the, on. the one that comes to mind immediately is Umar ibn al-Khattab. The close second. Okay. Yeah. But it's, is it Abu Bakr? Yes. Okay. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Radiallahu okay. anhu. Radiallahu anhu. Um... And the funny thing is, like, my, 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 my personality is a bit, like, you see, my, maybe closest to Omar's, right? Like, I'm kind of, <laughs> fiery. <laughs> Break things and apologize. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, subhanAllah. I mean, I remember the first time, I, you know, when I was, like, more than 10 years ago, when I used to listen to the Sahaba series, lecture series, different lecture series. You, you, you listen to the life of Omar al-Khattab, radiallahu ta'ala, al-Faruq, and you're thinking, wow, I want to be like Omar, right? Mm. Then you listen to one story from Abu Bakr mm. and you're like, yeah, you're like, yeah. you're <laughs> you can't say like, who's Omar? Omar's Omar. But then you're thinking Abu, Abu Bakr, Bakr is there, yeah. right? Mm. I mean, I've got two or three favorite quotes. Um, the first one is in the uh, Hijrah. And when, and, and I guess we, we, we have time restraints, so we, we can't tell all the stories. You're going to have to read the book. If you're the <laughs> yeah, story. yeah, exactly. Um, but when the Prophet Ali Salatu Wasalam was finally given permission by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, um, to um, make hijrah. Um, he went in the middle of the afternoon, which was uh, rare in, in the heat of Arabia, people would be sleeping, and he masked himself and went to the house of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. And he told Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, uh, well, first he came in and he said, tell everybody to leave the room, um, because this, this was serious. Um, and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he said, uh, Ya Rasulullah, it is only but your family. Only Aisha was there. This is your family. We, mm. we are your family. Um, and Abu Bakr said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me permission to make hijrah. And Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he, he just had one word, he had a one word answer. And he said, As-Suhbah, Ya Rasulullah, uh, companionship, i.e. my companionship. And then he said, Bi-Abi wa Ummi. Bi-Abi wa Ummi. I, I beg you by my mother and my father's life, a suhba, can I, can, I, can I join? And this is only so profound once you've actually read the seerah because the hijrah is a life and death. Like there was a, you know, there was in, in our terms, you would say there was money on the head of the Prophet mm. His life was in imminent risk, imminent danger for you to, if he was to say, you have to come with me, it would be commendable for you to say yes. Mm -hmm. You're basically sacrificing your life. And so, 
for the in, for the first response to be to say a suhbah um and then he said yes and then abu bakr Siddiq began to cry so much the aisha anha she was listening mm. in the other room and she said i didn't know that people could cry out of happiness until i saw my dad cry that yeah. day and he cried and cried and cried mm. and just subhanallah um and that's just one you know that's that just personifies yeah, abu bakr Siddiq. it does um the other one i'm thinking is um in the same story as they continued they hid in cave hira mm -hmm. and so we know you know the famous story the hiding in the cave the Quraysh found out that they left and they were in a crevice inside the cave below and the and the Quraysh were walking ahead yeah. if they just looked down khalas islam would end there and then mm -hmm. right yeah and abu bakr is so nervous um and then imagine being consoled Firstly, being consoled by the Prophet ﷺ, mm -hmm. to say, لا تحزن إن الله معنا. Don't, don't worry, Allah is with us. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, quotes them in the Quran. So yeah. now we have the honor of being mentioned in the Quran, mm -hmm. right? Um, only two sahab sahabi, yeah. uh, Sahaba, as you know, have been mentioned in the Quran, Zayd ibn Harith, and now we have Abu Bakr al-Siddiq indirectly. And then the ayah, I mean, إلا تنصروا. You have a nice verse, go ahead. No, no I'm not going to recite it, but... No, but no. Ali the the um what's the verse? Illa Tansuru Fakoda Nasarullah if a Khajina Kafaru. Yeah. Yeah. Thani Ithuma Filhar Idiakululisa Hibihila Tahsan in Allah Hamana. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, if you don't support him, Allah will support him. Yeah, yeah. Thani Ithuma Filhar Idiakululisa Hibihila Tahsan. And when he said to his companion, don't worry. So that that's you know. Any story with Abu Bakr Siddiq is emotional, yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one more I'll say, yeah. and this one has a, a numerous benefits. Um, this is at the Battle of Badr. And, I mean, you know, we could, we could take our time given the context of the Battle of the Badr and, and, and there, are, there are innumerable benefits from that. But let's just, um, we can fast forward and say that this was the most critical moment in the seerah, right? This was the defining al-Faruq. This was the defining moment in the seerah. Islam will not exist mm. if the Muslims lose today. Um, the Prophet ﷺ found out that the Quraysh had mobilized an army. So the companions were 313, as many people know. However, they weren't armed. They had some swords. They were ready to raid a caravan. Mm. They had no resources. They had no weaponry. All they had was some, uh, well, they had some weaponry. They didn't have any armor. They weren't ready for war. The Quraysh found out they mobilized a thousand of the elite with armor, with resources, with food, with, with weaponry, everything, and they were ready. And the Prophet ﷺ made shura, as he always does, he, made, he consulted the companions, and, the, the, and then they said, you know what, we're going to fight, and we're ready for war. And the Prophet ﷺ, as the armies were lined up, he turned to the Qibla, and he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and even before that, the night before, when everybody went to sleep, as you, you need to, you know, you pray and then go to sleep, you need your sustenance, you need your, you know, you need your energy to sleep. The Prophet ﷺ, he got his uh, sustenance from Allah He went behind the tree, faced the Qibla and prayed to Allah the entire night. And his sujood and his ruku', his bowing and prostration was longer than his qiyam because he was just talking to Allah SWT, yeah. pleading with him. Yeah. And to be honest, this is the definition of tawakkul. This is the implementation of tawakkul because, because me and you, we don't know our fate. 
وَلَعَذُ بِاللَّهِ We don't know if we're going to die Muslim or not. نَسَلَ اللَّهُ السَّلَامُ الْعَافِيُ وَاسْكَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى for protection. We don't know what's going to happen. So we should be desperate for Allah سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى's support and success. But the Prophet of Allah is the chosen one, the messenger, the best of creation, the Khalilullah, the friend of Allah سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى. If anything, he has the right to be complacent and say, you know what, Allah is going to support me no matter what I do. So it's very noteworthy to see how the Prophet actually implemented tawakkul was to beg and plead Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he made dua to Allah and said, Ya Allah, if this group is destroyed, you will not be worshipped on earth. Islam will not exist basically. Mm. If this group will be destroyed, you will not be worshipped on earth. Ya Allah, grant me the victory you have promised. Ya Allah, grant me the victory that you have promised. And he would make this dua, Ya Hayyu, Ya Qayyum, or ever living or all sustaining. And he would continue this all night. Then in the morning, the, back, the people are lined up and the Prophet is ready to charge, he turns to the Qibla once more. And the Sunnah of making dua is to put your arms to your side and your palms raised. So you don't, you don't do this like, like we often do, but you, your palms are towards the sky and, and, and you're making dua. However, in, in the moments of extreme anxiety, extreme desperation and hardship where you're begging and pleading Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Prophet would face the sky and his hands would raise and he would beg and he would plead mm. and that's what he did because this was the most critical moment of his life his blessed life sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he would say Ya Allah I I, 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 I request the victory that you have promised Ya Allah I request the victory that you have promised and he, his, high, his hands would be elevated so high that his garment fell Mm. And he would continue bare-chested, he would continue begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until his best friend, until his, 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 his confidant, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, came behind him, picked up the garment and hugged the Prophet ﷺ from behind and he said, Enough, Ya Rasulullah, enough. Allah will give you what he promised. This is, this is Abu Bakr. Mm. So this is like my definition of tawakkul. The Prophet ﷺ relied solely on Allah but it didn't stop him from benefiting from his, his, his mm -hmm. best friend and his confidant, right? And this is where you find Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, you know. When we say the senior uh, Sahaba, well, we revere the Sahaba, all of them, right? But we, what we don't realize is that there are levels to the Sahaba, mm -hmm. right? The ones who, who, who were companioned to him, who were, uh, befriended him and stuck by him for 10 years, and those who met him once or twice, they're all uh, yeah, yeah. from the Sahaba. Even within the senior Sahaba, you have levels. Yeah. And the Prophet ﷺ was so protective over Abu Bakr. Even one day Khalid bin Walid, who we know, Sayyidullah Khalid bin Walid. Um, and actually, actually, I think it was um, either Khalid bin Walid or Muawiyah. Mm. Um, but I think it was Khalid bin Walid. Um, there was an interaction with Abu Bakr. Okay. And then the Prophet ﷺ became mad. And he said to him, are you going to irritate my companions? Mm. So he's saying to his companions, <laughs> are you going to irritate my companions? Right. And there are many stories about Abu Bakr Siddiq and yeah. <laughs> this is meant to be about the Sira we're talking about Abu Bakr Siddiq. Yeah, so what can we say? That was a long answer to one question. But no, 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 but yeah, amazing. I mean, Abu Bakr Radulam. And you know what? You know what's interesting, right? And I shared this reflection on, uh, on, on, on online um, a while back. I was thinking of, obviously you mentioned Abu Bakr, right? <clears throat> and then you have his daughter Aisha Radulamha. Who of course herself has amazing, you know, a status. She's our mother, the wife of the Prophet Sallam. And awesome. one reflection that I shared about her, I said, had it not been for Aisha Ranha and her narrations, because <clears throat> of course we know that how many narrations she shared. Had it not been for her narrations, there's a lot, 
about the Prophet ﷺ and about his life that we would not have even known. Absolutely. Because she's narrating intimate things that no one else knows of because she's there, she's spending time with the Prophet ﷺ, especially in Medina, as we know, it's a, a different, it's a, it's a complete different, uh, you know, environment to, to Makkah. And she's sharing all of these things like, oh, in the middle of the night, the Prophet would wake up and he would make this dua and he would stand like this or he would pray like this or he went out to see someone, etc. And we're finding out things that no one else would have known about. And that's that's one thing I find amazing about Aisha Dunha is that, alhamdulillah, had it not been for her, I think I was reflecting on it actually in Ramadan, the dua of Laylatul Qadr, mm. which is the famous one, Allahumma inna ka'afu wa tuhibul afu fa'afu anni. And we only knew and learned that dua because of Aisha, because she asked the Prophet if, if I know it's Laylatul Qadr, what's the dua? Questions like that and insights like that is just invaluable from, from the I mean, whether it's fiqh, you know, jurisprudence, what to do, um, when anything happens in, in, in the bedroom, regards to intimacy, mm. anything to do with, uh, you know, home life. Yeah. The vast, vast majority of the narrations come from Aisha. Mm -hmm. And then you have profound things like this, because the Prophet <coughs> is in, at night in solitude making yeah. dua. So how, how would you know what he said, except for he, the only person in the room, which is mm. his wife. Exactly. And uh, Yeah. And, and she outlived him by how many years? Mm. So then she was able to spread that message as well. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, amazing stuff. Um, you know the story which which uh, which um, really um, every time I read it, it amazes me. Um, is the story of Salman al Farisi, which is you know it's too long to even go into. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I remember last year we were in we went to um, we were in uh, Medina, and we went to the farm. It's known as the farm of Salman al Farisi, where those where those okay. date palm trees were planted. Uh, it's it's now it's becoming a bit more popular. When we first went a few years back, it was more of like a hidden, secret kind of mm. location in Medina. And we were there, and I remember reading the whole story. We were there for like 10, 15 minutes, just standing, reading the whole story from beginning to end, and his pursuit of the truth and the pursuit of knowledge, subhanAllah, uh, and, and the sacrifices he made, and going from literally one region, one part of the world, to another, you know, bouncing from one priest to another, just awaiting the final messenger I mean his journey is amazing because his journey began way before you know many of the Sahaba's actual Islam uh, journey began but he was just searching and searching and then eventually he, he arrives in Medina he meets the Prophet and then you know his freedom is purchased so yeah I mean for anyone who doesn't know that story we're not even going to attempt to tell that story because yeah. we'll do it justice yeah so you know search it on YouTube um, read it in the book it's the definition of like where there's a will there's a way yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where there's a will, there's a way. If yeah. you're sincere, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to make a way for you one way or another. Mm, definitely. So coming coming, coming uh, deeper into the seerah, so we've spoken a little bit about some of the companions and a few snapshots here and there. Uh, and of course, to be honest with you, we can sit here for hours yeah. and talk about so many different aspects um, of the seerah. So let's make it a bit more personal um, for you, let's just say. I've, I mean, I'm sure there's so many different moments. You, you, you've touched on Abu Bakr al-Dalan and... His, his kind of influence on you. Um, but yeah, like what moment in the seerah for you stands out? Like, you know, and, and not just stands out because there's so many stories we can mention that are amazing, right? That on paper or reading it or listening to it in the lecture, it sounds amazing. Like, wow, subhanAllah, that's it. But I mean, like actually impacted you in your life at some point in your life, looking back on it, like, wow, that was just, you know, if the Prophet could do that, if the companions could do that, then I could do it as well. Like, was there a moment in the seerah for you that was like, almost like, you know, it sounds cliche, but almost life-changing to some degree? You know, um, many people um, take the heroics and the, the, the lofty nature of the Prophet ﷺ as inspiration, which of course it is, right? Yep. 
But you know, one of the most profound things that I that I learned from and benefited from in this project, and like as I say it, like you know, being under the shade of the Prophet for a year, yeah. yeah. Um, is the opposite, is his humanity or his humanness. Mm. As you know, throughout the Quran, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "If we if we wanted, we would have sent an angel, yeah. but we sent a human." And I really think this needs to be reflected upon more because the Prophet ﷺ went through so many hardships, so many difficulties um, that it doesn't make sense as to why he would go through so much hardship except mm. if the conclusion is that it is for us to benefit and us to learn. Mm. And so you think, well, okay, how can we learn and benefit from the Prophet's hardships? Well, he was a human. And I think that many people would be surprised as to how very human he was, mm. how human his emotions were, <coughs> his family life, you yeah. know, uh, problems with his wives, his companions, politics yeah. and you might think well you know you might think well actually you know does that affect me in a negative way i thought he was you know infallible he was like an angel mm. no he is infallible but he's the best of mankind and i think he could have been an angel i mean it sounds obvious but if, I, I just really implore the audience just to reflect that he we could have been an angel. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could even have sent revelation in a million and one different ways. You know, mm. it could be through like osmosis. It could be through yeah. like, you know, um, through the airwaves. Mm. But Allah chose a human being to guide us. And mm. I think seeing the Prophet wasalam, seeing his, his human responses and um, the fact that he's been hurt, mm. the fact that he's been anxious, the fact that he suffered loss, the fact that he cries, I think this grants us an opportunity for so much empathy that we can try to emulate him. And we never will, but we can try. Mm. And the the closeness between us and the Prophet ﷺ, um, so sometimes the best way to explain is through examples, right? Yeah. So I I think of the incident of Taif, mm. right? Because Aisha, radiallahu anha, may Allah be pleased with her, she asked the Prophet ﷺ, was there a day more difficult than Uhud? And that's a good question because Uhud was one of the most critical moments mm. in the entire seerah. I mean, we said that Badr, the Battle of Badr was one of the most decisive moments. But in the Battle of Uhud, the Prophet ﷺ was one arrow away from death mm. without any exaggeration. In fact, he was so close to death that a rumor spread on the battlefield that he died. Mm. So, the Sahaba in the middle of a battle were faced with the dilemma do we continue without the Prophet? Hang on, how can we even live without the Prophet? Never mind, continue a battle. What mm. are we going to do? Yeah. Arrows were attacking him from every direction, so much so that there were 12 companions surrounding him, and every single one of them was martyred, protecting him from the arrows, except for one. One by one, they would die, and the next one was coming after Prophet. And in fact, he was hit and his tooth fell out. And he was hit a second time and his helmet uh, stabbed into his cheek and blood was gushing out. Blood was gushing out so much that the Sahaba were concerned that they couldn't stop the bleeding. 
So not only was there a rumor that he nearly died, the Sahaba were worried that he was going to pass out and die from the blood loss, mm. or from the arrow, or from swords. It was absolute chaos. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected his messenger. But it's a good question, right? Because can there be an event more difficult than this? Mm. The Prophet said yes. He said, your people hurt me greatly. And the worst was the day of Aqaba, which was the incident of Ta'if. He said, والسلام, I presented my message to the leaders of Ta'if and they did not tell me what I wanted to hear. Mm. I was in a state of grief and sadness and I left and I did not know where I was until I reached Qarna Thalib. Okay, let's unpack that. Because the context was that after the death of Abu Talib, his uncle, mm -hmm. His life was in danger. His protection was revoked. And what does that even mean? In our modern day context, we could say that imagine the police and the government revoked your passport and cancelled it. And then the police and the army were sent after you. Yeah. Not to imprison you, to execute you on death. What, what precarious position are you in right now? Mm. Right? It's like having no citizenship kind of thing. No, not Nothing. only no citizenship, but there's a death warrant on your head. Mm. And... Every single policeman and, every, and the army and the navy, they've all been called out. So his last protection, his passport was Abu Talib. Once he died, you know, That's it, yeah. he, he, you know, one, you know, the next day he, he would have he been captured and executed. That, that was the situation, such a critical moment. So in the dead of the night, he couldn't even wait till the morning. In the dead of the night, he, he left with Zayd ibn Haritha and they went to the closest city, which was Taif. So this is the context of him entering Ta'if as a last gasp attempt for protection, for allegiance, for alliance. Not only did the leaders say no, they mocked him in the most sarcastic and vile way. One of, there, were, there were three leaders uh, leading in unison and one of them said, um, did Allah not find someone better than you? Mm -hmm. And the other one said, well, if this is true, I'm going to go and tear down the Kaaba. That's how much grief this causes mm -hmm. me. And the other one said, I can't even reply to you because you're too holy, apparently. And, and they continued to mock him. Uh, dignified as ever, alayhi salatu The Prophet replied and said, very well, if you don't accept my message, at least don't inform the Quraysh that I came. See, like this is the definition of tawakkul, right? What's the difference between tawakkul and tawakkul? Tawakkul, reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, trust in Allah, and tawakkul, complacency, heedlessness. This is what it means to tie your camel. You know, that famous hadith, yeah, yeah. right? The companion comes to the Prophet ﷺ um, and says, well, I left my camel in the, in the market and I went to trade and I came back and the camel ran away. <laughs> but I had trust in Allah. So the Prophet said, tie your camel, then have trust in Allah. So this is the Prophet ﷺ tying his camel, right? Don't tell the Quraysh that. Diligent as ever. But also sincere. And the sunnah of da'wah is that you go to the elite and have the trickle down effect. And when the elite reject you, you still go down and, and, and uh, spread the message to the laity. So the Prophet ﷺ spent an extra week giving da'wah to the people. And eventually people's hearts started to warm towards the idea. And this angered the, the leaders to no end. They sent the thugs and the gangsters to, to, to attack the Prophet ﷺ and, and, and expel him. They pelted him with stones and bricks and Zayd ibn Haratha tried to protect him. And they were both attacked so much so that there's blood in the in the shoes and the feet of the Prophet His life was never in danger though But he would, they were humiliated and, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and, and, and expelled and yeah. rejected <clears throat> Let's go back to that hadith right 
Because there are two or three extremely noteworthy benefits from that hadith. Firstly, look at the dignified way in which the Prophet ﷺ approached the, the topic. He didn't say, why me? He didn't say, you don't know my problems. He didn't say, complain, self-loathing and, and, and pity. None of that. But at the same time, there was no, you know, quote-unquote overt manliness where like, no, nothing affects me mm. and, 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 you know. Um, yeah. Uh, that type of like macho mentality that wasn't there either. It was a prophetic masculinity, right? It was transparency. Uh, it was openness. We wouldn't know if Aisha didn't ask. Yeah. And we wouldn't know the true details if Zaid ibn Haritha wasn't there to narrate it. Because look at the mm -hmm. way he said it. He said they told me what I, what, that which I didn't want to hear. Mm -hmm. But actually, we know that they they you know they they abused him uh, sarcastically in a mm -hmm. vile manner. But secondly, he said, والسلام, I fled and I didn't know where I was until I reached Qarna Thalib. Qarna Thalib is eight kilometers away from Taif. Wow. So how long does it take to walk or even jog or even run eight kilometers? So in, in modern psychological terms, I think that's called disassociation. When mm. something's so traumatic, you don't even remember what happened. Mm. Right? So going back to your question, you know, was there a moment or was there an event that you know was, was almost life-changing well should we not be easier on ourselves when we learn that the best of mankind the best of creation Allah's friend suffered this trauma and, uh, and whether you want to call it anxiety or sadness mm. so much so that it had like a physical effect on him mm. and thirdly and finally connected to the same point he Identify Ta'if as worse than Uhud Would mm. you rather be an hour away from death Or would you rather be So grief stricken That you, you forgot where you were Yeah. So I think that's an extremely profound point Because should, should we not be a bit easier on ourselves That if we can't handle things 100% or as, as, as well as we should Are we as good as the Prophet This is our role model This is our messenger, mm. And he was a human Right And so this was the best of mankind when he reached Qarna Thalib, yeah. he sat under a shade. Uh, he sat in the shade of a tree to regain his breath. But however, before his, the blood in his feet could even dry, he got up once more, faced the Qibla and dua. And this, in my opinion, and uh, you know, give me your thoughts whether you, you can identify another dua more profound than this because. Mm. This is the most profound, beautiful, impactful dua that I came across in the entire seer. Mm. And in fact, I'll, I'll read it word for word. Okay. So, so, so that we can give it its due justice, right? So he reached, um, he, 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 he got up from the shade, faced the qibla, and again, in the same motion, raised his hands mm. to Allah and, and spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And he said, Oh Allah, to you I complain of my weakness and humiliation before men. You are the most merciful of all those who have mercy. You are the Lord of the humble and you are my Lord. To whom do you entrust me? To a stranger who receives me with hostility, i.e. Ta'if, or to a close relative you have given power over me, Quraysh. Now listen to this. As long as you are not angry with me, I do not care. But your protection is easier for me. 
I seek refuge in your face by which all darkness is illuminated and from which all the affairs of this world and the hereafter are rightly guided. May it never be that I incur your wrath or be subject of your anger. It is your right to criticize until you are content. There is no power nor strength except through you. So imagine you had a, 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 a death warrant on your head and you fled and you went to your only hope who not only rejected you but in, humiliated you and expelled you and attacked you. Yeah. And now you have to go back to your, to, your, to your death. And there is no hope. For a normal person, there's no hope. Mm -hmm. But what's the Prophet's concern? If you are not angry with me, I don't care. Mm -hmm. However, look, this is the balance. If you are not angry with me, I don't care. But your, um, but your support is easier for me. And so, it's allowed to ask Allah for ease. Allah tests those who He loves the most. So sometimes we might think, well, I should go out and ask for tests from Allah. Mm. And that's a logical conclusion, but that's against the sunnah. And this is why knowledge is so intertwined with ibad and so important because we can have a misguided understanding of what piety is and we can become more religious than the Prophet, mm -hmm. peace be upon him. When actually we learn that the Prophet asked for ease. Yeah. So we stand firm in those tests, but in those moments of criticality where we think we can't, take any steps forward we ask Allah for ease and this mm. is the balance between the two so subhanallah I mean yeah subhanallah. that was really a profound moment in the seerah absolutely I think even you know the dua you mentioned it's like I don't have to describe it but it's not your typical dua where you know usually you raise your hands and you're just asking Allah, Allah yeah grant he's me conversing this. with Allah yeah, yeah it's very heartfelt very personal it's a conversation you know and uh, I think that that's what makes it so it's just it's very you know like being very vulnerable in front of Allah I think that's what it is, right? But this is the point that I was making that Could an angel say that? No. Could an angel do that? Would an angel do that? Mm -mm. Right? So why was the Prophet tested over and over again in so many different ways? Is so that we can then learn that when we face the same test We know the blueprint mm -hmm. And I say to people if, if you experienced a fraction of the difficulty and hardship that the Prophet ﷺ experienced Wallahi he would perish He mm. would perish very true. Like, like on the same on the same note, but another profound example that I, that really subhanAllah moves me is when he was on the deathbed of his son Ibrahim. Mm. And look, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that humanity can agree that the worst thing that can happen to a human being is the death of a child, mm. especially an infant child. Infant child, yeah. Right? An infant child. Yeah. Especially when they're at tender age where they're yeah. just they're just perfect, right? So you have a prophet, a messenger, who after losing his father, loses his mother, mm. then loses his grandfather, who was his father, mm -hmm. then loses his uncle, who was his father, and then loses five out of six of his children. Mm. So what, what have you faced that, that even comes to a fraction of this, right? And so in the, on the deathbed of Ibrahim, when he's taking his last breaths, the prophet, والسلام, he... He hugged him, he smelled him, he kissed him, and he began to cry. And Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he said, Ya Rasulullah, what's this? Like, he hadn't seen the Prophet cry, and he thought maybe, like, he's like an angel, like, you know, he, had, he, he doesn't cry, in, maybe he doesn't cry in public, or maybe he just doesn't cry. Mm. He says, Yeah, ibn Auf, this is mercy. Oh, ibn Auf, this is mercy. 
and he continued to cry and the mm. tears came down the cheeks of the Prophet and then he addressed Ibrahim and he said, Ya Ibrahim He said, Indeed the Aisha tears and the heart mourns but we do not say that which displeases Allah mm. So look, when you intertwine dunya and akhirah to that extent when you know everything that happens to your life is a test in the hereafter, for the hereafter then your immediate thing, your immediate response is, I don't want to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And again, this is the balance. We don't say crying is not manly, crying, you know, I'm going to keep it in my heart until I implode and resentment mm -hmm. takes over me. No, cry, be human. Your prophet was human. But we do not say that which we, that displeases Allah. We don't wail and we don't hit ourselves. And the prophet continued and said, and were it not for the fact that the latter amongst us shall meet the former, i.e. we will be reunited, we would have been much more grieved. Ya Ibrahim, we are grieved. Mm. And he continued to cry. And so, you know, this is, this is, this is the Prophet, right? This is the Prophet, this is our role model. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? A lot of people, when we, when we discuss looking back at the Prophet's life and, um, you know, which moments really resonate, I think it, it comes to that period you mentioned that Amal Huzan, the, the year of sorrow, losing his uncle, his wife, you know, what he faced at Ta'if, that kind of, that period in particular, it resonates with a lot of people because, I mean, firstly, an entire year named a year of grief and sorrow. Like, there's not, we could say, yeah, I've got, I've got some weeks or maybe a month or so of grief, but like an entire year, one after the other, um, losing that many people from your life and, and then facing the rejection from the people and your, your life is literally, you know, uh, you're on the brink of basically any moment you could be you could be taken and, and executed. I think yeah, I mean I, I I can understand why so many of us resonate with that because this is the message of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know he's going through all of this. Allah is by his side supporting him, uh, and yeah, you know we're going through and we're not undermining anyone else's struggles and and problems and and issues that that we're we're all facing because it's it's difficult for all of us. It's tough. But it's 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 finding comfort, and I think that's what happened through revelation as well. I think a lot of the 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 revelation that was coming down at the time, you know, we we're talking about Surah Yusuf as an example, and many of these surahs. I mean, this was for the Prophet to look back on and be like, "Wow, okay, my brothers before me, like whether it's Yusuf or Musa and so on, right? They went through like X, Y, Z. Like they, their family betrayed them. Musa Islam, you know, as as a baby, he was thrown in, you know, just thrown into to to a canal basically, khalas, that's it, right? And um, I think for him, he found that comfort. And I think it, that, that's how it is, right? I mean, all of us have to look back on someone who's been through more than us. And especially when their status is a lot higher than ours and they've been through more, I think we can, we can, we can probably learn a lot more. We can find a lot more comfort in that because who, who am I? I mean, but he, he went through it and he was, you know. I mean, there, there are so many stories of the prophets in the Quran mm. for the Prophet ﷺ yeah, yeah. to take guidance and to uh, and and to um, be able to empathize with, and and in the same way we learn the life of the Prophet ﷺ for yeah. guidance as so we can empathize yeah, yeah. even more so. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna um, break things up a bit. Um, I'm gonna come back and ask you a few more questions sure. related to the seerah. I want to talk a little bit about the book um, in between, inshallah. So, uh, obviously, we, we mentioned how Sheikh Asuqadi, the lecture series, more than 100 episodes, 150 hours, long, long, long. You know, I mean, I, I personally can't even say that I've listened to it beginning to end. I've listened to huge chunks of it. You know, especially when I'm revising before I'm teaching, etc. It's great. Uh, I can't say I've listened to all of it. Um, but then to then, of course, go through that, you know, do, do further research, 
start writing. I mean, I know how it is to write a book, but then to the seerah is just is an ocean in of itself, right? Um, talk, let's talk a little bit about the project that you embarked on, right? Um, and let's okay, let's start with the basic question: How long, roughly, do you spend on this project, roughly? Um, the number I give is a thousand hours. A thousand um, hours, wow, okay. and that doesn't include like the after effects, and, you know, like okay, like when you when you do a video, you've got the ed- post post production, yeah, yeah. So you've got you know lots of proofreading and editing and references. So a thousand hours of the core work, mm-hmm. um, followed by a few hundred hours um, of of you know packaging, putting it together. Really? So wow, perhaps fifteen hundred hours, you can say. Okay, interesting, and. Um, how, okay, how did it come about? Let, let's ask that. I mean, was it was it a case that you know this is something that you wanted to do? You were approached. I mean, how, how did how did this even come about in the first place? Yeah, I mean, it sounds very grandiose, uh, mm. um, but honestly, it feels like Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sometimes prepares you maybe for ten years um, just mm. for, for one for, for one particular project because everything just fits in place like mm. so organically and so smoothly. I mean, I have my company Wordsmiths. Um, and this, when I say a thousand hours, you know, that would take, um, it would have taken like five times more if it was just a normal, say, a normal person just doing a project. But because the infrastructure was there with mm. Wordsmiths, we have editors, we have proofreaders, we have a whole system in yeah, place. Yeah. Um, as well as studies with Sheikh, my, my, my beloved teacher, Sheikh Akram Nadawi, mm-hmm. um, the critical analysis from that, that was required to then adapt something from an audio format to, to a written format. And everything just came into place. I mean, um, we deal with pu- publishing houses and, 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 and companies and non-profits and we do a lot of editing and translation. Um, and there were some other um, projects and uh, there were some other audio series that we then, um, we were requested to um, edit transcripts. And this is the thing, I think the, the vast majority of people underestimate what it, you know, the difference between uh, spoken eloquence and written yeah. powers. Oh. If you were to transcribe our conversation, mm. no matter how eloquent we think we are, it will be an absolute chore to read. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't translate, yeah. mind the pun. It doesn't translate. So um, we edited it and then we edited a sample. And then I said, I was trying to explain it, like, look, this doesn't require editing. This requires adaptation or paraphrasing or whatever you want to call it. So we, we pretty much invented the service and we said, like, look, it needs to be transformed into a written format. Mm-hmm. And we did that for a few books, small books. Right. And then, um, well, a good friend of mine, we we're having some steak actually, and a good friend of mine. Um, <laughs> Love a bit of steak. <laughs> yeah, the steak is at the center of uh, all things good. Um, and I was informing him of all the projects we were doing, and he said, Well, why not the Sira? Why are you doing smaller series and not the Sira? And then I asked myself, Why not the Sira? That's such an obvious question, like hidden in plain sight. Mm. Why not the Sira? And the reality is that it was. Uh, um, Perhaps it was too big of a project. It was too demanding mm. of a project, and um, so I approached the the publishers and I said, "Look, you know, we're doing these projects. We really should be doing the Sira, yeah." And they they and I said, "Look, I I know the issues are going to be um, maybe because of cost or because of anything." And I said, "Look, I'm going to do it for free. Mm-hmm. We'll figure out an arrangement after the fact in terms of financials, rather yeah, yeah. than like you know we come." I run a company, we, we, we commission projects, you know, if you want editing, it costs this much. If you want translation, mm-hmm. it costs this much. But for a big thing like 150 hour, it, it, would, it would have cost a lot. So I said, look, with regards to the price, we can do with that after the production, after the sales. But really, this, this, this book should, should get done. Mm. And they replied and said, you know what? Not only do we agree, we already have the intellectual property. We already agreed. 
um, and the Sheikh has been meaning to do this for, for, for more than five years. Right. Um, but it's such a big project that it just kind of just get put on the back burner. Mm. So literally within a week, we had a contract signed and we said, look, let's do this. Wow. And so it just, it just, it just came about very just organically. Like that. Yeah. And did you, did you, did you do, like you personally, did you focus on any other projects at, during that time? Or did you mainly focus on this? Yeah. Project? I mean, <laughs> the funny <laughs> thing is, um, this project goes against all my business uh, uh, principles. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in our last conversation, we talked about business and productivity yeah. and we talked about systematization and making a business and mm. letting the business run. And the only reason I'm into entrepreneurship is to free my time for Talib al mm. And if I end up spending many hours a day on entrepreneurship, I always ask myself, like, why don't you get a job then? Like, the reason why you're an entrepreneur is so that you can study. And you're not studying because you're working. Mm. So you need to change the system again. Right. Uh, whenever I catch myself getting lost in the dunya, if you mm. wish, like you should get mm. lost in the entrepreneur because it's fun and you're working. Yeah, you're yeah. thinking, hang on, am I here to work or am I here to study? So I have a system with my translators and my editors and I'm checking and I'm managing the the, 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 the project, right? Um, but with this, it's like, what's Talib al Other than the Quran, yeah, yeah. is there anything more noble than this? Absolutely, yeah. Right? Exactly. And even when we were doing it, it's like, you stop. And then you do something else and you think, is the thing I'm doing more noble than the thing I've left? Mm. And it got to the point where it was like 12, 14, 15 hours a day just doing it because yeah, yeah, yeah. why not? Because it's better, you know, yeah. right? So did I focus on anything else? Well, I mean, the funny thing is I had already had trips planned. And then this, this you know, like I said, this came out spon spon spontane spontaneously, like... Um, Spontaneously, just <laughs> <laughs> out of the blue. <laughs> you need to cut that guy. You need to cut that guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, spontaneously. Yeah. Um, and so I already had things planned, mm -hmm. but I thought this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. So I signed the contract, and the next day I flew out to Mauritania. No way. And we had a trip in the middle of the desert in Mauritania, and um, so I said to myself, "Look, I can't, I can't just stop this now, even mm. though I want to study Mauritania." And we still went to Mauritania. And we, me and my wife and we went to study but I split the time I was like wandering in the desert looking for a cafe found one um, and after you did your studies in Quran I spent four hours a day um, doing the project but then to be honest balancing the two between Mauritania and trying to do like a mammoth project like this mm. uh, as well as any, it, it, it didn't work out so I, I'm, I'm a pragmatist and I said oh, look we'll come back one day but you know so we head back to Egypt um, continued on the project four hours became six became eight became ten Cancelling classes, cancelling appointments, cancelling mm. this, cancelling that. It got to the point where, and I said this to the sheikh, I was like, um, I spent more time with you than my wife this year. <laughs> Literally, like, you know, yeah. sheikh Yasser was part of the family for, for like it's over a year. Um, and this is the funny thing is, it was all remote as well. So it's not like you were with him sitting there. Yeah, and yeah, doing this, but like, just like in the air, the sound yeah, of the yeah. sheikh Yasser. <laughs> but we had a lot of interaction. Mm. Uh, alhamdulillah, subhanAllah. You know, you talk about technology, but and, but, and the ills of technology, like how much damage has the internet done to the world? Mm. But at the same time, you know, like, you're thousands of miles away from each other, yeah. Uh, but you're talking every day, WhatsApp, voice note, yeah. You know, uh, you know um, there's a lot of synergy, collaboration, making mm. this happen together from a thousand. You know, in Mauritania, uh, in Egypt, in England, in America. Um, so Subhanallah, yeah. Um, so actually, I, I didn't focus on anything else, um, but out of choice. Honestly, it was like I'm jealous of my past self. Yeah, it was a very blissful 
time. Yeah, yeah. No, alhamdulillah, yeah. I can imagine. And like you said, I mean, what a noble project. And yeah. uh, it wasn't just a case of, you know, like you said, taking a transcript and just doing a few edits here. They're like, you literally, I mean, I know what it's like to actually write a book anyway, as it is, yeah. right? But then, and obviously my, the book I wrote was a lot, lot smaller than this one. But then it's it's the research as well. That's 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 the thing, right? It's not just like you, you know, you took you took what you had there, but obviously you would have had to do a lot more reading externally and research and back things up, so, and so, referencing and so yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, which you don't get from obviously a lecture series. Yeah, in a lecture, it's very easy to. I mean, the two yeah. main the two main challenges are this. Yeah, one is like we said before, spoken eloquence is very different from written prowess. Mm. So when you say something, firstly, the spoken format is different to the written format, but also a lecture series, the the context is different to a, a book that you want to be timeless. Mm. So you can give examples in a lecture. Like even now I'm talking about passports and things like that, because the audience understands the context. But if you want this book to survive a hundred years, we might not even be using passports. It might be microchips in our brain, yeah. right? So people are like, oh, you know, pass they can't empathize with the passport. So you then have to think, how would this be written? Not only what would the sentence structure be like, but would you say this to a written audience? Is this a timeless parable or not? Is this, times, is this extrapolation suitable? You have to ask yourself all these things for every single sentence, for every single point, mm. right? And so that was the, the you know, the, the main, the primary task. And the second thing was, well, the Sheikh, Hafidullah Ta'ala, I don't think he, 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 he expected in a million years when he started the seerah. Because he even said, if, if, if you remember in the lecture series, he's done the seerah multiple times and never finished it. Mm. But mashallah, Allah gave the barakah that this was finally finished over a number of years. Yeah. And he didn't expect it to become whatever it is now. This is barakah from Allah, right? So there are no references, there are no notes that survive that handwritten notes that you take from 10 years ago. You don't yeah, keep those, yeah. right? And then this book has 1,172 references. Wow. Primary references. Yeah. Uh, and, and secondary references from the likes of Ibn Hisham and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And this is where the academia comes into it because, you know, in my PhD, my supervisor was one of the strictest supervisors you'll ever come across. And he mm. says, we need six references per page. Six references per page? Per page. Oh my God. Okay. Basically, if you say a single sentence... That you claim is a fact Where did that fact come from? Right Yeah Unless you're a genius And you've just invented the something mm. Then someone said it's before you Or you need references Right So You know After doing my PhD Really that's been ingrained in me So mm. You know It's 500 pages 1,000 you know, 172 You can do the maths Multiple yeah, yeah. references per page um, And alhamdulillah I think we can confidently say It's the most referenced Zira book in English Without a shadow of a doubt Yeah wow. but, but By a factor of 10 yeah. Um, so these were the two main And when you say a hadith When, when you narrate a hadith You paraphrase slightly Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It's very rare You get it word for word mm. Kama qal al Nabi As, yeah, as yeah. the Prophet said But when you write You don't have that liberty mm. It's not acceptable for you To Absolutely. write a hadith And you paraphrase it So then you have to go back To the books And get the exact wording mm. And then change and it the for that And then the referencing yeah. So it was a mammoth task But alhamdulillah you know, with the Sheikh and, and, and with the Westminster team that I'm, I'm completely indebted to. Yeah. Um, Allah allowed it to happen. So, of course, you mentioned you've, you, you know, you're studying, you're abroad, you've got family, you've got business that you're running, all of these things, right? And then you've got tasks like this. Um, and I remember last time we spoke about productivity and things like that. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, I'm sure there's many people listening right now, working on their own projects, you know, whether it's career-based, study-based, study, study based, personal side thing that they're doing. Um, how, do you, how do you focus 
and just do one thing. I know there's books written on, I mean, there's literally a book called Deep Work, Deep work right? Yeah. Literally, right? And, then, and there's many other books on productivity and getting, getting things done, even there's a book called, right? But yeah, how, how, do, you, how do you take a task like this, like you, you, like you, you yourself said, a mammoth task, right? Take a, take a task like that and then with everything else that's going on, focus on it and, and just get it done, which is, let's be honest, a lot of people today are struggling with just getting things done, right? So what, what kind of tips do you have? I think there's three things. To do deep, like basically, you know, how to see a project through um, that requires, you know, that mental capacity. You need to do deep work for an extended period of time um, to finish a project rather than com continuing to start projects and, and not being able to finish them. I think there's three critical things. Consistency, mm -hmm. isolation, mm, yeah. and um, consistency, isolation, and prioritization. Okay. All right. Yeah. So consistency... You know, the Prophet والسلام, he said, The best of acts are those that are, are consistent, even if they're little. Um, and so is things build momentum. When you complete when you continuously start and stop, mm. um <clears throat> things prolong by magnitude. Yeah. Even this is started on like four hours a day, and at the peak it was like four twelve to fourteen hours a day, right? Mm. Um and one episode of like an hour. Uh, might take like um, 12 hours but by at the peak it took like five or six when you get in into the groove of things things really start flowing yeah so you know you got that 80 20 rule you know like mm. 20 percent of your efforts yield 80 percent of the results and, it, and it's because of this consistency that builds that flow and so even when people talk about going to the gym it's like um go even when you f don't feel like it even if for five minutes do a couple of reps because that means you've you've continued that streak mm. right I don't know why this example comes to mind, but I, I saw an interview by Michael Phelps, the famous swimmer. Yeah, yeah. And he said, in the world of swimming, when you take off one day, it sets you back two days. Mm. So when you take one, so if you if you took Sunday off, you're only back to where you were on Tuesday. <laughs> wow. So he didn't take a day off for three years, whether it's uh, he said Christmas or his birthday or mm. anything. And and you're continuing to. to I'm yeah, not yeah. advocating that. That's, yeah, that's, course, that's, yeah. that's crazy and unsustainable, right? Yeah. He's a world champion. But it's that consistency. But the second thing is that solitude. I mean, if we're going to be completely frank again, if you're not going to sleep early and waking up early, then you're not serious to be having this conversation. To mm. begin with. And there's only an extreme minority of people who don't fit that, who would rather work at night. But most people, if you go to sleep at Benny Adam time, this is what I said to you four years ago. If you go to sleep at Benny Adam time, yeah. then you wake up at Benny Adam time, you're going to feel better for it. Yeah. right? And <clears throat> one of the reasons is that literally like, the Prophet ﷺ said the of a ummah is in its early mornings. But also no one's gonna distract you because everyone mm. else is asleep. Yeah. So even my teacher Shah Akram, he writes between 5 a.m. and 11 a.m. That's his writing time. Mm. Even for me, I say Fajr to Dhuhr. The vast majority of this book was done from Fajr to Dhuhr, right? Mm. No one's gonna distract you or call you at 6 a.m. Right? And then your kids wake up and then your friends call you and then uh, you got social media, yeah, Instagram yeah. or whatever, all of this <clears> stuff. <throat> so you need some hours of solitude a day uh, one way or another and i guess isolation also means not just physically having people but well, devices and yeah i mean that, I, that's probably the biggest i really thing. suffer from this i mean people think i'm productive but i really think i'm not because this is like some shaitan right here um you really need to put it in a different room lock it mm. give it to your wife and put you know ban yourself it needs that initial willpower to say look just take this away from me yeah, yeah. let me do the work and reward myself with some endless mindless yeah, mind yeah. You, know, you know it was funny because um when I was writing the, the Surah Yusuf book, the majority of it was written and completed 
in actual isolation as in during the lockdown, lockdown yeah like that was it's a blessing a for me because yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah a blessing it, in that sense as in like i had no other choice i had yeah. to just you know <laughs> lockdown was very impactful yeah. in a negative way to so many people even mm. in that isolation was very impactful to people's mental health but for some people they have said like you know that really forced them to actually get on with it yeah. right but yeah. the third thing bro is prioritization sheikh akram he sheikh akram nadwi he taught me one day there's no such thing as balancing because you can't balance two inherently um um, imbalanced objects mm. right you can't balance two things that are not equal okay you can't balance two unequal objects you have to prioritize one over the other right there's only so many priorities you can have in a day because at a certain time in the day you have the brain power and for me that's yeah. after Fajr when you when you've had your coffee yeah when you've gone to the gym when you, whenever it is whatever it is for you that you have two or three hours your peak performance that needs to go to something and then you have the second priority and the third priority. Mm. So if you're serious about completing this task, then it needs to be the first thing when you wake up, you're thinking, let me do this, right? If it's the third or fourth thing, you might complete it, but it'll take way longer. Um, it might not happen. It might mm. happen, right? So when you have too many things going on at the same time, it can become a hindrance, yeah. right? True. So you need to choose yeah. one or two things. Even I said to myself with the book, like, Either I can do this while continuing my classes and it might take a couple of years or I can just cancel everything for six months. And this is when I was halfway through. And then I just cancelled everything and I just, you know, mm. got on with it with that deep work. You don't necessarily need to do that. That's difficult for people with day jobs, but I'm not saying cancel everything. Yeah. But at least prioritise. Pick two or three things that are your priorities, finish them, then move on to the next thing. Mm. And move on to the next thing after that, right? That's my advice. Okay, excellent. Um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with a, a couple of coming back to a few questions Sira related, right? Uh, alhamdulillah, we've got we've got a good insight into into the book, and of course, you know, we we encourage uh, all our Infeed uh, viewers, listeners, um, definitely. We'll do uh, a photo up. Yeah, 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 do the do the photo up, right? Sira the Prophet it it's available. It's on Amazon, right? Yeah. Or buy it from buy it from the Cube website. Cube website, yeah, 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 yeah. I guess yeah. it's better that yeah. way. And then yeah, leave yeah. a review on Amazon. <laughs> Absolutely right. So definitely get your hands on it, inshallah. Uh, but coming back to the seerah, and again, this is hopefully again going to whet people's appetite with the seerah because you know, for some people, they might say, seerah, it's a bit long, you know, how am I going to read it? And alhamdulillah, you know, the way it's written from, from what I've read so far, I haven't read the whole book, but it's definitely very accessible. Uh, it's not just, uh, you know, written in very kind of either old English, archaic, or very academic, where only for a set you know, set, set kind of group of people, yeah, they, they'll appreciate it. Alhamdulillah, it's written, you know, it's very accessible for most people to just pick it up and, and read, which is great, alhamdulillah. Um, but then for some people, it's like Sira. I've never really had that connection with Sira. One thing I always say is, listen, I mean, we always talk about um, how much we love the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, someone insults him, you know, you've got around the around the world, someone, you know, tries to characterize the Prophet we, we get so upset and, and angry and Rabiul Awal comes and it's like, yeah, okay, we love the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, etc. But it's like, if I was to Why? ask you some basic yeah. questions about the Prophet, we don't know. We we barely know anything about Slightly artificial, him. Slightly artificial, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Barely know anything about him, his family, his companions, where he was, where he lived. You know what happened, his struggles, etc. So for me, these conversations are so important because you know for, for those people listening, maybe this is an easier way. You know, instead of reading the book right now, easier way to hear a few things, and it's like, okay, maybe I do need to learn a bit more because I don't know any of this stuff, right? So, um, last few questions I had for you was. Firstly, I was going to ask this at the beginning. I'll come. I'll come to it now. Which is, I asked you about which companion. You know, you mentioned Abu Bakr al You resonate with the quotes and so on, right? But now let's talk about a companion. I mean, everyone knows Abu Bakr. Everyone knows Umar and and Uthman, etc. Radhiyallahum, right? Or your Aishas and Khadijas, right? But what's from your research and maybe from your readings, right? What's one companion that you came across that you you think 
I reckon most people have never heard of this name or very, very rare um, uh, for, for someone to know this companion and just something unique about them, just a quick gem that you can share with us about a, an unknown, let's just say, companion. Because they were, I mean, for, for a lot of people, they don't know that there were literally tens and thousands yeah, of them. thousands right? of companions, yeah. yeah. And we know the names of uh, a few, a, a few yeah, hundred, yeah. right? Well, well, it depends. Um, I don't know how much, you know, the average person knows or doesn't know. Um, and and there are many examples. To be honest, uh, you've got the likes of uh, uh, Julie B. Yeah. That story, but I think that story is starting to become uh, yeah, I think maybe now. through lectures and things, yeah, it's becoming yeah. quite popular. So um, look, when I say Abu Sufyan, who do you yeah. think of? Yeah, I need mean, the the Abu Sufyan. Uh, yeah, Safar, Abu Sufyan right, was yeah, uh, the, um, the the leader the, um, the leader of the Quraysh, mm -hmm. right? Um, it, but there's another Abu Sufyan. Mm. Um, oh, okay, let me put you to the test. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping, I was like, oh, okay, let me put you to the test. Because I've come across this Abu Sufyan. But... Second Abu Sufyan. Yeah. There's another Abu Sufyan. Uh -huh. Yeah. What's your final answer? Who is he? Honestly, I won't be able to tell you. So, there's another Abu Sufyan yeah. who was the cousin of the Prophet. Okay. Right? I think Su Su Abu Sufyan ibn Harith ibn Abdul Muttalib. Mm. Yeah, from the descent, paternal cousin of the Prophet. And actually, he was worse than Abu Sufyan. No way. I mean Abu Sufyan. And he was one of the few exceptions that the Prophet ﷺ didn't want to forgive. When it came to um, the conquest of Mecca yeah, yeah, yeah. and the whole story, the Prophet ﷺ came back and, and forgave everyone mm -hmm. that he didn't need to forgive. There were, there were some exceptions that, that people were yeah, so yeah, yeah. bad that, you know what? Principle dictates that you cannot be forgiven, mm -hmm. right? And so he was the cousin of the Prophet, والسلام, but he um, dictated poetry cursing the Prophet والسلام, for an extended period of time. Mm. And the Prophet loved him and he was so hurt and he, he would continuously attack him. Right. Close family members huh? are very close. Family. Yes, uh, immediate cousin, mm. uh, first cousin. Not like when we say, oh, he's my cousin yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the dad's cousin, <laughs> yeah, second yeah. The village in Pakistan. <laughs> but no, actual first cousin. And the Prophet loved him. And they grew up together and like they had a close relationship. Mm. But in the, in the early stages of Islam, he was severe against the Prophet. However, and this is a, a great blessing from Allah. Um, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those who accepted Islam before the conquest of Mecca are not equal to those who accepted mm. after. Yeah. So there's a distinction between the Sahaba, those who accepted before are a higher level. So like moments before the conquest of Mecca, the Prophet's, uh, and the Prophet's camp والسلام, was camped outside Mecca. Um, two people, um, Abu Sufyan, the, the second Abu Sufyan, yeah. and um, somebody else, uh, um, Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, Mm -hmm. um, were two people who really regretted their actions and came to the Prophet ﷺ so. to, to ask for forgiveness. And actually, so Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, he was the half-brother of uh, Um Salama, mm -hmm. anha, the mother of the believers, wife of the Prophet yeah. so. and, and she had a soft heart. Yeah. And she came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, and said, Ya Rasulullah, your cousins are outside. Do you need them? Do you, do you have any need for them? And the Prophet said, no. Mm. I don't have any need for them. And they were so distraught. And this was a test also. I'm not saying the Prophet said no as a test because he truly was hurt. More than, you know, like 
and this is why the, the, the personality of the Prophet is so comprehensive, is that you can take examples from the Prophet and say he forgave, but you can yeah. also give examples when he didn't. You can give examples of when he was a warrior, mm. and you can give examples when he turned to the cheek. So anyone with any ideology can take course, snippets from yeah, the seerah, yeah, but when you read it at all, as a whole, you get a comprehensive idea. So in this moment, he didn't forgive. Yeah. And they were so distraught, and this was, well, it was also a test. Are you going to give up? Are you going to continue? They continued to beg and plead, and it, it wouldn't work until they, um, Abu Sufyan, he grabbed the hand of his son, which is now the nephew of the Prophet And we, everyone knows the heart of the Prophet is so soft. Even when he's so hurt and he wants to say mm. no, he's so soft. So he grabbed the hand of a child and said, Ya Rasulullah, if you don't forgive us, I'm going to take this child and I'm going to walk into the desert until we die. Mm. And I'm not going to return. And it might not be obvious to some, but the desert is a killer and the desert yeah. is a, the harsh lands of the desert is unforgiving. Yeah. So if you walk into the desert without any water and without any sustenance, you, you will, you will die. Last long, yeah. And he says, we're going, by Allah, we're going to walk into the desert and we're going to die. And it softened the heart of the Prophet and, 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 and he, he, um, he, um, he, he allowed him to enter the tent and he asked the Prophet for forgiveness and he, um, and the Prophet forgave him and he began to praise the Prophet and he began to recite. And this is what they would do. They would uh, instantaneously, um, <laughs> recite the most beautiful and profound poetry and he began to praise the Prophet Alayhi Salaam and in yeah. fact there's one line there's one line that he said um, he began to um, praise the Prophet Alayhi Salaam and then he says and then he said a guide other than myself guided me to Allah a guide whom I repelled at every turn where he continued to guide me to Allah and as he was about to continue the Prophet struck him on his chest and he said, and, and this is, the Arabs are very affectionate. So when you, when you strike someone on the chest, it's out of love, right? He struck him on the chest. And he said, yes, by Allah, you repelled me at every turn. Like he was so hurt. He said, yeah, he said, he said yes, by Allah, you repelled me at every turn. Like it's true. Mm. Like you really hurt me so much. Mm. He felt profound pain, the Prophet ﷺ felt so much profound pain, but he forgave him. Let's fast forward a few years. The Battle of Hunayn yeah. was a fierce battle. There were 20,000 um, enemies of Allah Taala, And in fact, the Muslims, including the Prophet, were, were tricked and trapped yeah. Yeah, in a valley. Mm. And archers from both sides attacked. And when the horses see archery, see arrows, they chaos yeah. ensues. They throw their riders off. That's why in the Battle of Uhud, the, the Prophet ﷺ instructed the archers because the, 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 the horses will be repelled. Yeah. Thousands of arrows came out of nowhere from left and right, so there's nowhere to go. So literally, it was so much chaos that the Sahaba, some of even senior Sahaba, began to run around in circles. Some even fled. And the Prophet's in the middle with no protection. Imagine. And this is not like a premeditated uh, re retreat. No, this is like... You think you're winning, and you know when you're when you're winning, mm. you score a last-minute goal and you're winning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Next thing you know, the attack comes, and everyone's in disarray. So everybody began to flee. There was chaos, and the Prophet ﷺ himself stood up and shouted to the companions and said, "I am the Messenger of Allah. Ana Rasulullah. Ana ibn Abdullah. Ana Rasulullah. Ana ibn Abdullah. I am the Messenger of Allah. I am the son of Abdullah." Come back. And he would say, 
he would call out to each client and he would say, he would say, um, he would say, Ya Banu Sulaim. Ya, he would say, um, O people of divine acceptance, i.e. those who pledged at Hudaybiyah. O people of Badr, O people of Uhud, mm. turn back. So now he's, he's, he's calling you, identifying you by your most noble moment of your life to shock you and to say, what am I doing actually? Yeah. And he worked, people began to turn around and he would say to his uncle, um, Al-Abbas, who had the loudest voice, he would say, call out to, call out to the Banu Sulaim, call out to these, call out to those. And one by one, they would come back, right? And he would say, he would say, Ana Rasulullahi la kadib. And Ibn Abdul Muttalib. Mm. He would say, I am the messenger of Allah, no lie. I am the son of Abdul Muttalib. He didn't say Abdullah, he said Abdul Muttalib. So he's calling out to the religious people to say, Ana Rasulullah, I am the messenger of Allah. La kadib. And then he would say, to the people who have just accepted Islam, who have more tribal affinity rather than religiosity, people of different levels. Yeah, yeah. He says, and Ibn Abdul Muttalib, mm. I am the son, not the grandson, I am the son of Abdul Muttalib. Yeah? And those people would turn around too. And then he would look to his side and there was one person to his side. And he had this helmet on, so he was like, who, who are you? Because he's calling out to everybody, even senior companions, turn around, Ana Rasulullah. Then he would say, who are you? And he would say, and then he, he was Abu Sufyan. Yeah. And he says, Ya Rasul, and he was grabbing the, the, the rope of the horse and he did not even move one step. And he and then when the Rasulullah said, who, who are you? And he says, I am the son of your mother. Even though they were cousins, he says, I am the son of your mother. Right? And then he said, um, he says, I am the son of your mother. Um, and, in, well, if you want the ending, you have to read the book. <laughs> well, in the end, he says, he says, I am the son of your mother. And then the Prophet smiled, mm. cheek, cheek to cheek, he smiled. He recognized basically. Who yeah. Because you know, you could say the Prophet was about to conquer, uh, conquer Mecca. So now they were Abu Sufyan saving face, right? Mm. Um, he wasn't sincere. But years later, when the most pious companions fled for a single moment, had a brief lapse of concentration, Abu Sufyan was there. And he says, I am the son of your mother. And he then, and then the Prophet said, attack. He told him, attack. And he attacked into a... Uh, a swarm <laughs> yeah. of enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he came out and he survived as well wow. um, and so why did I use this example well it doesn't matter what your past was right mm. you know um, خير الأعمال خواتمها so the Prophet yeah. said the best actions are those uh, or, or, or its end the best of an action is its ending so we ask Allah for husn al-khatimah. Mm. So we can end on that, I guess. We can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah grant us husn al-khatimah, which is like a happy ending, a good ending. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter if you spent 99 years disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but if your ending is good. But we don't know when the ending is. That's exactly, the ending, yeah. right? But the, the lesson here is, he hurt the Prophet ﷺ so much that the Prophet said, I don't forgive you. Until he begged and pled and, and he softened the Prophet's heart, mm. right? And then when it mattered most, he was by his side. So that gives us hope, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. SubhanAllah. I think that, that's an amazing way to end because, you know, that's, that's one companion we didn't know of, but then you, you tie in and you make connections. And actually, I know, you know, I've, I've heard that part of the story and I, and I know these kind of... We didn't know it was Abu Sufyan. Yeah, right there, did, did right? make that connection. Yeah. And, and in the seerah, I love making those kind of connections, you know, because there's so many. And, you know, initially when you study the seerah, you're like, there's too many names or these clans, you know, I just used to skip over that part and go straight into the meat of things. 
But now, you know, as you mature and you read more, you're like, it's so important to know who these clans are, which companion is from which clan, and then you you create these connections. So that's the benefit of reading as well, though, because when mm. I listen to the series, even usually you multitask while you're doing chores, while yeah, you yeah. commute, and the names Abu this and Abu that, yeah, yeah. they mix. So when you read, you can you can add a note, you can yeah. you can you can doodle, you can you can annotate. Yeah. So. Alhamdulillah, it's, it's, it's very beneficial to read as, as, as well as listen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Jazakallah khair. Um, you know, like, I actually have so much more that I, I want know, to I know. Say we should share. do like a Joe Rogan style, like five hour podcast. <laughs> we literally need going. to, yeah. Especially, especially, I think if it's a Sira one, we need yeah. more time. We need yeah. more time. So, round three, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. I don't think we've done it justice, but, you know, we've given at least a preview to the listeners, inshallah. And of course, it's, it's up to you all to, uh, to buy a copy of the book. Um, and just start reading Honestly it's, you know, One thing that I would say is Do not delay your seerah journey Like start your seerah journey Learn about the Prophet ﷺ, Learn about his life Learn about the companions But at least start with the seerah somewhere uh, And now Alhamdulillah We have so many amazing resources And, and, and this is You know I, I can tell you An amazing uh, book That is hugely accessible uh, And you know You have mashallah Two amazing doc- Dr. Yasir Qadi and, and, and Dr. Salah Sharif Alhamdulillah uh, Putting this together So definitely get your hands on it May Allah bless you, Dr. Salah. Lovely, lovely having you here. And my pleasure. And for the rest of you, inshallah, check out the book. You know, stay tuned. Lots more uh, podcasts and episodes coming your way, inshallah. Barakallah fiqh. May Allah bless you all.